Serious TV Drama Podcast. I'm Scott, and joining me once again, the pancakes to my Snickers, it's Brian. Hey, Brian. Hey, Scott. We're back and ready for some Halloween action. <laughs> some hot Halloween action. Hot Halloween action. In, in, in the freezing cold of Minnesota. Yes, we are back to talk about the fourth episode of the <laughs> fifth installment of Fargo. And that fourth episode was titled Insolute... How do you print? Is it insolubilia? Is that how? We That's how I would say it. Insolubilia. That's how I'm going to pronounce it. We know that I have issues of pronunciation. That's why. That's why we're never going to cover House of, House of the Dragon on this podcast. Um, the episode was once again directed by Donald Murphy, and even better still, once again written by Mr. Noah Hawley. So about this title. Now I had mentioned uh, last week. I was like, "Oh, look, they're getting into the the classic Fargo style titles with the ridiculous theories and theorems and post- postulates and whatever not." So when I see a word like that, I was like, "Okay, I gotta look this up." So um, I'm gonna I'm in, got my phone in front of me here. So I was looking at the uh, the Wikipedia page because you know you, you can always trust Wikipedia. So it mentions here about the, in the Middle Ages that variations on the liar paradox were studied under the name insolubilia. Now, of course, which makes one go, okay, what's the liar's paradox? Now, liar's paradox, and once you, once you start to talk about it, you realize, oh, okay, I've heard of this before. It's basically, um, or I'll just quote from the page, so I'm trying to paraphrase it. It's the, uh, the statement of a liar that they are lying. For instance, declaring I am lying. If the liar is indeed lying, then the liar is telling the truth, which means the liar just lied. <laughs> in this sentence, the paradox is strengthened in order to make it amenable to more rigorous logical analysis. It's still generally called the liar analysis, although abstraction is made precisely from the liar making the statement. It goes on and on. You, you get the idea. Um, I thought it's a about surefire that. way for a liar to tell the truth, to lie, and tell you they're lying. Right. It, it, it reminds me of different riddles we've heard o- over time and how you're trying to determine something. Um, that, that definitely is a, a paradox of a form. I think it's something where people, they talked about it's, it's considered a paradox that is inherently solvable, but not easily solvable, I think. But it's also funny when looking at this episode and also what's been transpiring over the last few episodes. And we either were looking at, I, I think more dot than anything else, and not to mention, I mean, there's a line that's dropped in this by uh, Graves um, about, about about that it's not our reality, right? <laughs> when Wit says that that's not a thing, and by the way, I I, I kind of love that because as we mentioned in the very first um, podcast for uh, a few weeks ago for for, for the season, um, how they're kind of weaving in things that are happening in real life in our in our country today here and that kind of little the the new reality the 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 fake news concept you know and 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 also gaslighting has become so much more of a thing nowadays people reference it all the time and we've seen it 
and that kind of happens in this episode as mm-hmm. well, which was I found pretty disturbing in the moment. Understandable, but still disturbing. So there's a lot going on here, and don't. And it's also one always has to note when you're watching Fargo, and as I point, we point out every time the the, the main gag of the show when you when it begins is this is a true story. And, you know, again, the wink with the word true. And it was like, but we know it's not. It's almost like the show itself is <laughs> it's the liar's paradox. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, no. That's like saying everything I say is true. No, that's not true. <laughs> it, it's almost a comment on all the characters in Fargo, too. Like, when nobody's telling the truth, like, what's the truth? Like, right, right. Y- you know, uh, I, I mean... And Every scene in this involves lies to to each other, with maybe the exception of the team up you finally wanted and got this week that that we probably still didn't get enough of. But right. but is is on that path. Um, and and the and, and the whatever season it is, whoever the characters are that are the the non liars, so to speak, which will generally tend to be. Um, the pro the the protagonists that are uh, that are um, cops and maybe there might be the other random folks like say in this maybe Wayne for example or the killer with a code that those will be, that you tend to gravitate to those right. will usually be the people in Fargo but um, outside of maybe the killer with the code because that kind of ruins the whole thing um, <laughs> so, so they they seem to operate for a, a good chunk of the season in a state of some level of confusion. Mm-hmm. Because everyone around them is either lying or obfuscating, or at least at the very least, obfuscating the truth, um, or or bending the truth to the, to their version of reality, which is what they're trying to do here. So, the w- once again, we picked. I, I love that we we once again pick up where the previous episode left off. I, I love when we did. We can pick right, which means if for those who are choosing to let these episodes pile up and binge them, that's pretty sweet. Because go, it's like, it's like watching one mm-hmm. really, it's like watching one really long episode. Um, I first of all, I love the fun and creepiness of wearing all the different Nightmare Before Christmas masks. I, it didn't even occur to me that there was like that. There was when when because when, when the last episode ended, I don't think my mind computed how many uh, he brought with him. And they're all wearing different character masks. Yeah. I was like, oh, okay. Oh, I remember that character. Order. Maybe between now and the next episode, just for the hell of it, I, I will watch Nightmare Before Christmas just just for the heck of it. I mean, they, they've, they've been hitting it pretty strong <laughs> in this show. I, I did read the article, and I forget what it was on that I mentioned last time that I wasn't going to read oh, until, yeah, right. until this episode. Um, and I'm sure you can Google... Fargo and Nightmare uh, Before Christmas, and Holly directly says, like, you know, they've done so much, they had to get permission, and he loves it because it sort of combines Halloween and Christmas, and knowing that this is when this is going to be set and probably fortuitously was released in this time period, that that it works on that level as well. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's direct homage, and, and I thought... Uh, the when this episode began, I sort of loved the way that they all sprawled out like for a breast. It was almost like it was almost like reservoir dogs, uh, you know, right. not there before Christmas, the way they're walking down the street or, you know, getting ready to get get in a gunfight, you know, in a 
A Western. Uh, yeah, I was thinking Western. It was like very idea. much Western. Yeah. Like motif, uh, but in you know, in a suburban neighborhood. Um, so, and the way the masks were designed and used, um, we go straight into this, and also we we keep the horror um, aspect of it. The right, you know, creepy looking in the window, and we also get the classic horror shot of the point of view of the killer or the the you know person that wants to kill mm-hmm. um so we get first person povs um you know the the looking at her putting something in the oven you know the the unsuspecting victim so so you think or target uh so i love that they have kept with that and and use that probably the most we've seen in any season of fargo to, to really lean into the, sort of the horror Right, I thought of that as well when I was watching and how I was ticking off all the little things that were like really kind of like, you know, classic, you know, killer in the house stalking mode, whatever. Like, like, like you said, like, like the POV through the eye holes of the mask, which um, people remember they did at the very least in, in one of the versions of Halloween. Um, or, or speaking of Halloween, having her like hiding in the closet and looking through the slats and, and the way her eyes looked had, had a very kind of uh, was very a very horror. Um, like image, and and it goes on throughout the whole thing. Oh yeah, it, it's the whole scene through the house is that. I mean, even the pumpkin that goes off, you know, sort of the the mini jump scare that scares the bad guy. Because oh yeah, yeah, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. You had the whole, like the flickering light, the light under the door. Someone always get someone always goes down flights of stairs at one point. Yeah. You know, some someone's there's something in the, there's someone in the basement. You know, someone gets knocked on the basement or whatever, and. And I, and I love the subversion of having all this happen while there's a Tiny Tim song playing throughout the entire, yes. throughout most of the sequence, from, as far as I can recall. Um, and as I mentioned before we started recording, um, I think I had only known, I, I mean, I probably, I probably had heard maybe one or two other Tiny Tim songs, but I always think of Tiptoe Through the Tulips, but this was a cover of I Got You, Babe. Yeah. Which I was like, Okay, that's an interesting choice here. Like, you know, if they went now, if they went with classic, I got you, babe. Then would, people would have thought, oh, are they referencing Groundhog Day or something? <laughs> if they're using Sunny and Cher, so we'll just use a, a silly little twisted version. Hey, at least it wasn't UB40. I, I really didn't want to have to sit through that. Thank um, God. But overall, okay. First of all, it's a huge first act. It's like 50, mm-hmm. it's a good fourteen, fifteen minutes, and. I think it's a fantastic first act. It really works as this extended horror thriller sequence. And, you know, you're rooting for how she's going to get out of it. And then things keep getting going wrong with the stuff with like, particularly Wayne electric, nearly electrocuting himself because she had booby trapped the house, whatever. And then, which results in burning down the house, which also has that kind of feel like, oh, he's going to come through the door, which is, you know, we're getting a little shiny here once he breaks through one of the panels or something. Um, I really love that. And I thought it was interesting um, because when we go to the second act, which comparatively is super brief, super brief. I mean, it's less than half as long. It's like, it's like maybe five minutes instead of 15 minutes, whatever. And the second act being um, the Roy Tillman character realizing something is up when he, when he arrives home and he's walking through his home, you know, gun drawn because he sees those muddy or whatever, whatever that or bloody footprints everywhere, 
which culminates in seeing the, the, the symbol written on the wall of the room where his daughters were. Um, but I thought there was specifically, there's a parallel between these two sequences. And it's interesting, and they're almost kind of like the, they're the opposite of one another. Like our, like in the first one, our main character that we're, that we're focusing on is on the run trying to protect, her, you know, herself and whatever. Whereas in the second one, he's the, our main character is hunting the person who's in the house, who, who who's the interloper, as opposed to trying to avoid them, whatever. Um, and I think also by having it culminate in him coming into his daughter's room and that symbol being there, I, I think I mentioned this last week, although Munch didn't go to the, you know, didn't kill his family or whatever, but just the fact he did that in his daughter's room kind of gives a shade of sympathy to the John Hamm character because it's like, okay, that's, that's going too far. He, 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 just the fact that this man, which means he walked into his daughter's room stark naked, covered in like mud and goat's blood, whatever, and did that. Not that he knows that he was <laughs> naked when he did, although they're bare feet, so maybe he would have guessed it. I don't know. But um, it's such a horrific violation. And that's why we see him seething like no tomorrow later, just a little bit later in the episode. But I, I thought that was set up in a, in a, in a way where we're, we're, we're going through both of their homes and both homes have been violated um, and we're just doing it from a different perspective. I, I just thought that was a, a very deliberate and very interesting choice myself. It, it is. Yeah, um, I thought the same thing. And I, and I thought that the parallels were striking in that they were in opposition and not in support of one another. And, uh, uh, it begs the question. Um, it begs the question that, uh, is raised later in the episode. Like how did, how did no one, did you notice like you don't see the footprints going out? Yeah. That's interesting. And like Jesus, no, I'm just kidding. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I, I carried the blood the whole way for you. Um, the, uh, you know, there's just a brief reference later um, by the state trooper when they talk about seeing the, the, the shooter. Uh -huh. And wow. he says, he says, you never see the ghosts uh -huh. or something. And like, they don't get a clear picture of Munch at the, uh, at the convenience store. And there's always a really fascinating thread that runs through Fargo that stuff could be coincidence or it could be not coincidence. And sometimes it's spelled out, you know, leaning one way. Sometimes it's left rather vague. Um, and, uh, and, and I love that there's just this hint with those runic symbols on the wall that maybe there's something a little more at play here than just being mad about not about attempting to be killed that maybe this is some sort of honor debt and uh it it really really i, I think those little touches are where noah holly really excels and and makes what is a normal story an extraordinary story and and i love that in this episode and to uh corroborate your point 
you have the yet as you point out, you had the scene earlier where um when Wit and um Olmstead are watching the 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 CCTV footage and he makes that comment about, you know, something like a ghost, whatever. And I think she even asked him to read like, what are you saying? He doesn't even want to repeat I don't think he ever repeats it, whatever. Um Roy towards the end when he's having his his in the middle of his final words with Joshua, um, he makes a reference to Munch and he refers to him as some kind of spirit. Yeah. So we have twice in the episode he's referred to as, you know, some sort of like a paranormal character, you know, and, if, and this all taking place at Halloween and everything. It's, it, it's, it, it's the horror season of Fargo. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so backtracking here, I, I um, I love the next scene. If I can just say that the two agents that we may or may not have thought were a throwaway, mm-hmm. that we see them want to go after Tillman and we see sort of the political reality of what that would mean. Right. But I love that. I love at the end where the guy says like, tell me what happens next. Like until you can figure that out, like go do something else. Like that, that's, we see that a lot in these shows too. So every now and then a character is almost like the Greek chorus Mm -hmm. that comes in to say like, here's the central tenant that if people listen to, they could avoid a tragedy, but so many people don't, um, that you can go do the thing you want in the short term. But if it, it, but if you've not thought of what happens next, then all these consequences spill out, and right. and that's what Fargo's always a show about. It's about the unintended consequences of, of mistakes. Right, right. Um. So I, I love I love that scene because it was characters that really haven't been integral to the story. Uh, we see them and their boss from up on high. Even you know he's standing above them. Yeah, he's um. He, uh, I looked up his character. So he's a he's a justice. So I guess he's a judge of some kind. So maybe I'm, I'm, I don't know if yeah. that meant they were trying to get maybe a specific uh, court order to do something or warrant or whatever something along Search those lines. But I looked up the character and first words were justice. Blah blah blah. It's like okay, so he's a judge. Yeah. I, I was wondering, but the way it looked, it looked like they were in a, in a courtroom like setting that he was yes. you know, from high above. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think those two are going to come into play more so as the, the, se- the season continues. Also, I'm just judging from what's already been happening and then also seeing the ad for the next episode. Um, characters are going to start bouncing, characters are going to start bouncing off about characters they had, who hadn't met before pretty, pretty soon now anyway. Um, one of which I'm really looking forward to. Um, when I saw that in the ad, I was like, oh, okay, that's a, that's a, that's a scene I'm going to put a little gold star because I want to see those two interact with each other. Um, a little earlier than that, I thought it was interesting, especially because we were going through the title and the whole thing about being Elias Paradox. And when, when we're at a lot of stuff ha- is going on at the hospital, um, so first we have, um, Dot and Scotty, is that the daughter's mm-hmm. name, right? Um, I think I would remember that name, right? Um, and you realize, oh, I see what she's doing. She's teaching her child how to lie. Yeah. You know, hey, there you go. <laughs> um, or you could say survive as she knows it. 
Well, I think at at this point, I think they're synonymous for her. Yeah, for her. Yes, correct. Um, and she and it's interesting because there's something she does. Dot does a few things in this episode where one has to decide. Okay, ostensibly, you're the person we're supposed to be rooting for. You're the woman on the run who 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 we gather escaped. You know a. a know a bad marriage you probably probably we get the impression that you were probably beaten you know from various things we've talked about in previous podcasts whatever she's the one we're rooting for get it and i and we should continue i get that as well i'm not suddenly saying i'm rooting for john ham because it's giant that makes no sense but there are like with any with any fargo character who's the sort of kind of protagonist but you know there's there's those shades whatever they're morally conflicted and they do things that are questionable ethically ethical wise or, or whatever my issue no don't, let me rephrase i don't have an issue it's not about the fact that she's telling the kid to lie that's not it's the reasoning she uses on the kid because she she basically puts a little scare into the kid that if you talk about them they'll come back so this is so that's the reason because well, i mean what else are you going to tell her she can't she's not going to tell her well i'm a few you know i'm you know i'm on the run i'm hiding you know can't do all that stuff you know and plus i think it might be your dad um <laughs> which i'm expecting <laughs> oh they did clarify as we saw it they did clarify he called um he called nadine uh mama during during that scene and the way she reacted to calling him shame like oh she's his mother I, be- I believe that pretty much confirmed that. Or at least a mother figure to him, maybe his stepmom, because I was going to bring it up too. When the agents are talking to the judge, they also say two of his wives have disappeared. Oh, uh, you know, so, what? you're right. You're right. Because the age thing still might be a little dodgy with her. Because how- Yes. Yeah, you're right. But, but I, I take we, that back. We question, you know, is he like, you know, is he some sort of Western weirdo with multiple wives or or so i think you know when he gets tired of a wife he puts them out to pasture or right. uh, and, at least that's the implication which means it was more likely she was his stepmom that actually make that yeah. actually makes more sense i forgot about the i forgot about their it doesn't feel like there would be enough of an age difference between them unless we're going to get really creepy which we don't i don't really want to go there but but it, but it is clear when she sees him like she didn't expect it to be him. She's a little bit disappointed in him. Yes, yes, that's right. And and I like that. And you know, for the Stranger Things fan, it was funny to see. You know, it was funny to see that that actor with a baseball bat in his hands as as we right remember yeah. Stranger Things. Uh, but uh, y- yeah, yeah. So d- to re- reflect on all that and dot at the hospital, um. I like this scene a lot because it's like, you know, it's the three-way standoff. It's mm-hmm. law enforcement against her family, against her, and all of them, you know, they want the truth. And what's funny, and, and I thought of it when you were saying this, her idea is to just lie and make up a story. Like, the the message is they're so powerful they don't have to make up a story and lie they'll they'll just create the truth they want and that's the truth that the police will have to accept that that they don't have to play that game right um so you see the power difference projected by her you know mother-in-law 
and Danish against what she does. Now, she smartly uses it to her advantage when they start pressing her and looks to Danish looks to Danish to, you know, shut it down. Unfortunately, she's saved by the bell when she's called into her husband's room. Right. Cause I was going to say that unlike, um, what's her first name? Uh, Olmstead. It begins with the letter I. Is it, um, Indira or Indira? Indira, Indira. It's Indira. That's right. Um, unlike Indira, and I don't, I don't, I'm not trying to, to shit on the character at all. Um, wit doesn't back down from what they're doing. You know, even with the whole thing, it's not It's like, nope, that, that's not a thing. Just like he didn't back down when he was dealing with um, Gator back at the in, the in the evidence room. You know, right. the only problem is Gator's able-bodied and just going to say, but, you know, kick his, kick his crutch and, and walk off, whatever. So I think that that's, that. so he doesn't care about the power dynamic. I think that's very interesting for a number of reasons, both obvious and not, whatever. Um uh, well, but we also see that Indira has leverage that could be used against her because we get a reminder this episode, she gets a call from the debt collector. My question about the, the call she gets from the debt collector, is it coincidence or do you think Lorraine had anything to do with making, you know, well, yeah, let's look, look, look into her and maybe start giving her calls on all those past two. It, it seems a little too minute for her to even be bothered with, but it also seems strangely coincidental that that happens. And then we go right, then we cut like literally right to seeing Lorraine right after that and talking about the debt stuff. It's like, Hmm, I don't know if that's a, I, I feel like that's done in a way so that we know that it's not a coincidence. It, it, if it's not, it is a fortuitous stroke of grace that that will be leveraged. They will try to apply to her against wit. Um, but it, it, the suggestion is that firm is so big and powerful that, you know, if you owed somebody a nickel, they're probably giving you a call too. So it, right. it, it, it could have not necessarily been directed by, by her, but it, but it may have been. And, but the the thing we know for sure is is after interactions she doesn't like she does keep receipts and names, and you know she gets says what's the name of the nurse have her fired oh yeah she's because a, they don't serve she because it's not a hotel right, right. <laughs> yeah she's she's a, she's they they're showing that she's a very easily vindictive person yeah so. Um, so and she'll she'll use that leverage now that she knows who Indira is. By the way, I'm going to say she in my mind she drops the funniest line in the episode when um when Dot is telling Scotty to go to the vending machine and like you know have had breakfast, have a Snickers. It's a Snickers. Are we on welfare? Yeah, <laughs> I just love that line. So that was much. a great line. I I would put that as as uh, that that was in my running along with pancakes. Uh, right. Well. This, I don't know how much I like. I mean, because we've ha we have a past with certain people on this podcast who were like, well, we're all anti pancakes. We're all well, why not waffles? But there's a they, they they're hitting pancakes a lot this season too. You know, that with all the pancakes, then Munch brings up pancakes, 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 pancakes. Mm -hmm. But getting to the thing, I kind of drifted away from, and I was talking about Dot, the troubling things with Dot at the hospital. It's what we already talked about with, with her daughter. 
um, continuing the ridiculous lie with the police, even though it's to the point where it's it, it's he recognizes you and they have you on footage. It's like it's it's ridiculous. But then when she finally, when as you say, when she gets saved by the bell because she, you know, Wayne is awake and she goes to see him, and then you realize, oh, she's gonna gaslight her husband. Who's in a daze to begin with? Although I love the fact that one of the first things he says he refers to her by the name Nadine. He, that hearing someone refer to her that way at the house kind of did, did stick in his memory there, which I thought was very interesting. Mm-hmm. But I, again, we I understand. Of course, we understand why she's doing what she's doing, and she feels that she has to. Of course, but these are each is a different level of being morally questionable. And obviously survival is, you know, the most important thing for her. But at a certain point, it's like, they're still closing in on you. You know, she got out of that house, but they're all, they're all pretty much alive or, you know, they're still going to be coming after you. I'm just, I'm curious where they're going to go with all this. Yeah. um, I was surprised that we didn't get, uh, uh, we we didn't drop a body. I thought we'd at least drop one, mm-hmm. but it it subverted everything in a really interesting way that that I was okay with. Um, but but the the little flourish I liked. I I don't think that Nadine Dot wanted to kill anyone, but if forced to, would um, because when she takes the gun, like she does try to shoot him on the steps, and she does try to hit him with the bat. But most of her effort is just to get away. Like, you know, if they leave her alone, she ain't going to kill him and she ain't going to look for him. But if they keep coming, oh, and, she she's going to kill him. And and she also uses, par- this time, part of a toilet to, uh, to, to try to wipe out her enemy. Right. She takes the lid from the, the toilet tank and smashes the guy in that. How he how she doesn't end up killing him when she does that is what amazed me because it's like how 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 did you not cave in his skull with that thing? I mean, I, I know how heavy those things can be. Um, you mentioned the pancake, so we're I guess we're referring to uh, Munch in the tub. Yep, m- Munch in the not mom that we thought maybe was mom. I I I, I still am not sure what to make of it all because she's asking why are you here. So, which to me establishes that that she, they that they they do know each other. I, I'm still thinking that she is until until it, it's until I'm told definitely otherwise. I feel that she is. I of course, it could, but it's beautifully ambiguous. Yes. Oh, but everything everything about him. It, I love that giving us that weird flashback in the previous episode from you know 500 years earlier, whatever. Usually when you get a flashback regarding a character, oh, you're giving me backstory. You're filling in blanks for me. With him, it makes him more confusing. <laughs> it's, it's it's like, wait, I, I'm I'm now I'm I'm so much more or less clear on what this what, what what who and what he is and what this is all about. It's like maybe he is a ghost or a spirit of some kind. Maybe 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 Roy knows what he's talking about. Oh man. But uh, he he gives another great illusion feel filled statement that you know 
uh, is definitely applied heavily to Roy. Right. That, you know, that, that people who have everything when they can't have something else say that they've lost their freedom. They don't understand that, that freedom, you know, has a price. Well, uh, and, and I loved, I loved his, his little statement. And then, but then when he's done, that's when the pancakes line comes, but, but it's, it, it's more universal than just a Roy, but it's a, uh, it, it's a, an idea into his psyche and is one of those things too. If you look at his history and that flashback, you think maybe this guy does have some ancient knowledge that, that he's carrying with him forward. I mentioned at the be- earlier on that we had these two things back to back, which had that kind of a parallel to each other. Um, now that we're getting to towards the the latter part of the episode, the end of the episode, we again have two things which I felt were kind of in a, in a weird parallel to to each other, and it's what you were just talking about the the I don't even know what to. We'll, we'll say the, the the soliloquy that Munch delivers there, and he's talking about kings and so on. Yep. So it take it, it it's not he isn't be, he isn't telling a matter of fact story. It, it has there's a certain level of religiosity to it. Mm-hmm. There, you know, um, and it's it it and it it it, 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 it 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 fits for what we know of him because he's someone whose background seems to be based on some sort of re- re- religion, religious rituals of some kind, be it culty or not, whatever, the sin eater and so on and so forth, whatever. But we have we have him delivering it. He's delivering it to the camera essentially. Mm-hmm. Delivering it to us. And then we and then then we pull back and see like his his his, his maybe mom there <laughs> and she's just like why are you, why are you here? And, you know, gets up, oh look I'm I'm buck naked and I'd like some pancakes. And then but he has that whole thing. And then the next scene, you know, there's a little bit outside with, you know, Gator showing up and finding out whatever, uh, what had happened. Uh, but it's more about the scene of, of Roy Tillman and he's in the home of the couple that he, he had that little diner, uh, session with back in the second episode, uh, which is how we first got to know what kind of person he is. um, and he goes on, and as you mentioned it to me when, before we start recording, uh, kind of goes off on a parable, right? Is that the the word you? Because he, you know, he's talking about Moses and Joshua and his, this whole thing, whatever. But it's hard not to see there's you know there's something very similar about what he's doing and what he's saying there, and what Munch just did. Just and you, if you're watching the show, it's like it's just a couple minutes earlier, and they're in opposition to each other. So you see how they again it's it's just like Dot and Roy were kind of the parallels of what they were doing in their homes, homes that were being invaded and everything, whatever, and how they and how they went about things. You know, she's she's trying to escape and survive. He's trying to hunt, you know, and you know, exterminate. Hunt and protect. Hunt and protect, yeah. That's better. Hunt and protect, right. And now we have what happened here. And it's interesting because everything Munch right now is all about the fact, as you as we've mentioned and you've mentioned more, um, he's owed a debt, which obviously is a running theme this season. With you know, be it you know the literal or or not, 
Um, and that's, and that's the nature of the storytelling. And, and, and it's the lesson of even kings have to learn and, and, you know, whatever. And even, even the might, it's kind of like even, even the mighty need to be brought down, whatever. Yep. And the story that Roy tells about, about Joshua and my, that's a very, that's a very different perspective. That's a very different story it's, there. It's it's the story from the view of the king and who who's loyal and who's not loyal. Right, right. So I like the fact that we're seeing the, the, the difference of, it's just their perspective, the power dynamic, whatever, which is also something which is being repeated throughout the show now, because there's a lot of different power dynamics at play, you know, either be, you know, Lorraine and the police or Lorraine and Dot or the way Dot is with any, you know, those who get to know Dot, like she, even, even Gator says she really is a tiger. Guys, mm-hmm. Guess what? You went there. There was like five of you, I think, right? Four of you, five of you, whatever. Four. It was. It's like, you still couldn't, get, went from two to four, he still couldn't get her. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, it, it it's interesting. I, I hadn't thought about it till, till you said this, but you know, um, Munch's thing says, you know, freedom costs a life. Um, that when the kings talk about freedom, like they don't understand the price. And in the next scene, you know, Roy takes a life believing maybe that'll free him of his debt. Hmm. Um, because I, I mean, I think what we're setting up is him pinning all that stuff on the guy yeah. and telling Munch he's in the clear. And let me make it good to you. Uh, I've got a patsy. And he he does. I hadn't thought of it in that way that he does take a life in the same way Munch describes uh, thinking that will equate to his possibly his freedom. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, like the 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 writing in this episode, I thought was top notch. Uh, the little flourishes, the little things, the, you know, the scene in the hospital, there were small moments that the, you know, the FBI with the judge, uh, I felt like this episode didn't waste a scene. I thought it was tight. Uh, it was, it was weird that the episode technically was longer than most of the, I think any of the other episodes have been, if I'm not mistaken, because it went, it was 10 to 11. I watched the, the FX version, not the Hulu version. So it was 10 to 11, 10. I'm like, I was like, oh, but it seemed almost faster than any other episode. Yeah. It was like, oh, it's, it's over already. Really? What? But I want more. Yeah. And, and that, and, and it's, it's really amazing because that first chunk, I mean, you talk about an opener, the, the, the whole first in the house consumed what like 20 percent of the episode maybe um roughly yeah and uh so the rest of it i thought was really lean really tight i like how we moved a couple of characters back into play that we hadn't seen um but just you know the the beauty of it is the two little touches like we don't see munch on the video he's called a spirit by you know and, you know, I, I just love, I keep saying, I love the idea of of him being called a king by Munch because I just keep thinking, who who ends up in Danish graves, baby? Kings. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, it's also, I, I like the fact that something that could have just been a, 
a scene solely to establish the kind of person that Roy Tillman is back in the second episode. And because I don't think I had any reason to believe we would see that couple again. Although, in, I mean, maybe, I guess, he, he established something, and then maybe we would have said, oh, he, the guy fucked up, and he would have killed him, I guess. Which is what essentially happens when he sees the, the big, dark bruise on her. This is after asking if you've been tend, have you been tending to, you know, your, 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 your wifely duties, or however he phrases it, whatever. Um, and the joke, which, uh, I guess I will get to make before you do it. So, the, the fact that Joshua draws the gun on him, so the gun is, it's, it's in his hand, it's pointed at him. All he has to do is pull the trigger. And the moment he, and, and, you know, he's, 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 you know, he's, 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 he's frightened. He's, 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 he's trying to figure out what he's going to do. And then he says, fuck it. And all he has to do is pull that trigger. And apparently <laughs> we've got a new quick, FX has given us a new dude with the quick draw. And it ain't Raylan Givens. <laughs> it's Roy Tillman. Cause holy cow, how the how the hell did he do that? He, the guy, the, the gun was already pointed at him, and he sh- he was able to shoot him. And for a second, I was like, wait, did he squeeze off a shot? And she was like, no, he. Oh, he didn't. Wow, nicely done. Now you now you said before you now did you did you mean that? You thought that maybe by pinning everything on the guy, which obviously it would, you know, would 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 absolve Munch of whatever. You don't actually look. Okay, you don't actually think they're going to try to. They're, they're doing that to try to lull Munch into thinking he's okay. No, I think that uh, Tillman's going to try to broker peace with Munch. And say like, "Hey, I pinned this on somebody else. I should have paid you in the first place. Let me pay you." Like, I I think, I think that getting inside his house and past the guys, I think it shook him and the fact that he called him a spirit. Now, you know, if he fashions himself as a warrior of light against the you know dark heathen, the pagan uh, munch. Uh, he, you know, it may just be a setup. It may be to throw the feds off the, you know, yeah. case or give the cops something to look at and get them to go away. And that's probably more likely. Yeah, that, but that, yeah, that's my feeling on it because once that never never mind the fact he got past his men and was able to get in his house, him going into his his daughter's room and doing that at that point, I was like, oh. He has to kill him now. There's no, I don't think there's any going back on it now. That's why we have that scene where he's just, he's literally just seething. And then they, and they, and they keep that shot on him for a pretty long time. He's just like, you know, the only thing missing is like the last time I saw a guy see that for that long, you know, on screen was probably a Sopranos episode or something, mm-hmm. except, with, except with more heavy breathing when, when Gandolfini would do it. So I think that they did like, okay, this will keep everyone, you know, Get the state cops out, out of the picture, whatever. Because he he also makes like he he knows who he is now. He's kind of I think they've gotten some information. They they are so it it's a really it's a, it's so it's such an interesting dynamic because he again it's it's you know it's bad guy versus worse guy and it's like you know 
but I can't see rooting for the Munch character, even though we can understand why he feels wronged, you know? But he's so fucking crazy. But then you realize, but the Roy Tillman character is probably a pretty horrible person himself from everything we've been picking up on, everything that been, I, hints they've yeah. been dropping. And, you know, and that's why Dot was on the run to begin with. He probably was, you know, horrific to her. And the, God knows the what he did to other people. Is, the beauty of it is, man, like um, seeing Ham this way is is really good because you see what you love about him in that monologue about Joshua. Like you see him, I mean, in many ways it was Raylan Givens like provoking the guy so he could kill him. Like he didn't just walk in and shoot the guy. Right. Like he, he didn't do that. Like he, he provoked him and even with the gun on him provoked him and, and probably had some belief in divine protection because I think he believes all of the Tillman's have, you know, have been, uh, chosen people great people and therefore he's a great person um it, you know sort of the idea of american exceptionalism that he's the latest in a line of exceptional people um and, and he goads him and does it but that but then when he goes and talks to the woman and says and it feels real creepy like you know i'm going to take care of you and there's going to be a check coming you know, and because Roy Tillman, you know, takes care of his friends. Roy Tillman never forgets a friend. Yes. Yeah, which is almost like, it sounds like something from, from Goodfellas. He, you know, know. That's, that's, Roy, see, here's what happened. Um, we, we saw Roy Tillman go through different phases throughout the, throughout the scene. Um, I don't believe he went there with, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go. I'm going on the idea. He did not specifically go there, definitely knowing he was gonna kill Joshua. Because he doesn't. I don't think he makes that decision until he sees the bruise, and that's when he. If you notice what he says when he sees that, and that's how you know. That's how you know it's gonna happen. By the way, when he says, "I tried," he says, "I tried." Well, because I tried. I gave you a I, chance. You also know when it's gonna happen. In my opinion, is when he says, "Can you bring me some coffee?" Hmm. Okay. Oh, yeah. Right. But but that and that's when when she. But that's when we see it, though, right? Yeah. But I I think here's the thing. I think he's there because he already knows that the, in his mind he's judged that guy's character, and he believes that guy was going to do it again. And he went back and well, that's and, the confirmation. The, then it's the confirmation. The second he entered, he believed he saw it had not changed. Because you think like everything turns when he gets the coffee in the diner with him. And that's when he gets it and throws it in his face. And then he asks her for coffee and she brings him coffee. I think like you know, the coffee's the the ritual, huh. you know, okay. that, that, that's just how I took it. You may be right. But that my feeling, my feeling when he asked her for coffee is like, oh, shit, he's going to kill this guy. See, I, 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 I see for me, I, I just felt. He he goes there. I mean, I think he goes there with it as a possibility and a suspicion, and it's confirmed. And because it also means that, despite him, despite what he preached to this guy back in that second episode, despite the little bit of violence that was done unto that guy, as the, so the threat was made real to the guy in that episode. Dude still did 
what he was told not to do, despite the fact that the wife just said he, she'd been tending to to her man the way he he had instructed, whatever. So the phases we get, we have first we have we have, we have Roy the preacher, that's who know her. Then it's Roy the now you, you probably think I'm gonna say Roy the executioner, which is true, no, but in Roy's mind, this is Roy performing his duty as a as a man. This is him as a lawman. This is what he does. This is the law he talks about when he talked to the feds that time. And then at the end, with the, I mean, after that, with the wife, that's Roy the politician. Because that's what he has to be, because you run for officer. So every what he says to her, he's, he brokers a deal, make, makes her make a promise. And when he puts his, his hands on her shoulders and says, you know, Roy Tillman never forgets a friend, that's, yeah, I get the, the yeah, there's certainly a gangster-like aspect, absolutely, but it's polit- but it's also it's the kind of thing a politician says. It, it is, it's but it's great political. when when he walks out the door, it's like then she exhales and cries. Like she's she's holding it so much in from everything that happened that, well, right, that right, she right, waits right. till he leaves, like to go like, Oh my god, like right. she was just as afraid of him. Oh as- I, oh I, I'm not oh I'm not questioning that at all. I'm but I'm saying but in his mind the roles he was playing. Yeah, he, I, I, he's I, not. I, I don't yeah. disagree with that. He's not. Think, he, that. he doesn't. He doesn't see himself as a gangster. Absolutely not. No, 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 but, no, no. I, but I'm, she does, I, yeah. I'm just saying that that had a very gangster feel to to you know like hey, like you, you this is what happened and don't forget us and we won't forget you. So we had Roy the preacher, as I said, then Roy the lawman, you know, man of law, then Roy the politician, and then when he leaves. Down to the the core of his being and how he kind of presents himself, he he's Roy the cowboy. He mm-hmm. rides off into the sunset on, his, on yeah. a horse, like like a, you know, this could have been the end of you know a John Wayne western or something. So, and I when I realized that's how they were ending the episode, I kind of laughed a little bit, like, oh, that's kind of funny. They, it's well, li- it's funny they don't show him go there. So when he walks out, you see that horse tied up and you're like, holy crap, he, he, he rode a horse there. Like it, it, it is really funny. And, um, but, but I, I have to say of the, of the episode so far, this was my favorite. Um, I, I liked so much about the little things in it. It set up, uh, it, it set up more mystery about Munch. And, and I thought the one point i didn't make earlier that i'd like to make is mm-hmm. there was a great scene of dot just staring at the wall when everybody was questioning her and you can see her really struggling with whether to tell the truth or not right and she chose not to um so i i think as far as being the protagonist um she seemed there's not much struggle in roy tillman there's not much struggle in much there's sureness in both their characters there's not much there's not much doubt in almost anybody in this show but there's a lot of doubt in in dot and uh it, you know i i i understand why she's doing it even if i don't agree with it because if she tells law enforcement law enforcement sticks together you know mm-hmm. um even if, if they tell you they're good people if they're lying you're dead um so i you know it's but uh but i love that and I, and i'll say four episodes in the kid that's playing Scotty. Mm-hmm. I think it's doing a real good job because I've yeah. not been irritated. I, 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 it, it has not caught my attention 
uh, you know, the way bad child acting does. Right, right, right. Uh, Like, I I think the kid that that plays Scotty is doing a great job. And I'll be real curious to see how long this amnesia uh, with her husband. Oh, Wayne. Right, right, right. Yeah, it's like just how spotty is it? You know, I'm I'm curious to see how how long that takes that goes on for. Um, yeah. Um, the only thing missing was when he's riding off in the sunset. He said, "Wait, should have kept going." And then all of a sudden, there'd be like this big, like you know, Cadillac out there. He gets up the horse, gets in the Cadillac. Right? No, I'm sorry, that's that's the end of Blazing Saddles. Never mind. (laughs) Alrighty then. I think we, I think it's time to wrap this one up. I think we did a nice little succinct job here. So, hey guys, if you, and gals and everything else, did I, yeah, that's fine. If you enjoyed this podcast, you'll also enjoy hanging out on our Facebook page. Look us up. It's a serious TV drama podcast page. We're available on most podcast platforms, but you know what? Why don't you just go to podbean.com? You can find all 394 of our episodes um i always say there's maybe 20 or 30 good ones oh and hopefully you'll notice it with the one the podcast you just listened to or the previous one you notice the audio is so much better now it we're almost sounding professional it only took 393 podcasts to get there anyway then the uh the the site i used to do all the editing they kind of made some upgrades there so i did some experimenting and i then i heard the results like ooh, i like this anyway so you can go there to listen to any of our podcast episodes. Obviously, I always say you can go to Apple Podcasts and rate and review us there. And hey, if you're on some other platform that, that does rating and reviews, you can do that too, but I'll probably never see it, so I don't really care. You can also find us on Instagram, Series TV Drama has one word, and on what I call X Twitter, um, at STVD Podcast. That's STVD as in Serious TV Drama. We will be back next week to give you our coverage and our opinions and so on about the next episode of Fargo. Um, I don't know if we're going to be doing any other episodes of the podcast beyond Fargo for the rest of this month. Uh, I've toyed with the... It's weird that I haven't done something about The Crown yet, but they're going to come out the rest... They only did four episodes, and they're going to come out the next six on the 14th. I feel that a podcast should be done since... The previous, I think all the previous seasons have been covered in one form or another on this this podcast. So maybe I'll uh, I'll knock on Kimber's door since I know he did he did a lot of the, uh, the stuff with me in the previous ones. Um, and obviously, much like Santa, pretty soon uh, at least three of us will be uh, making our lists and checking them twice for the best of 2023, which we usually do probably within the first week of January. Because I always say. Got to wait till the year is over before. Because what if a show comes out on December thirty first and you can binge it on that? It's it's happened. Didn't like Cobra Kai or the the show that show that had Neil Patrick Harris way back when they released it like on the last day of the year. Um, Lemony Snicket. Yeah, I think I think it was one of those. Yeah. Um, I'll be I'll be curious to see if one of two shows isn't at least two of us pick as our favorite or or. I feel like our top two is kind of almost obvious this year, but I'm I'm I gotta gotta think about it because maybe maybe there's something you, I'm forgetting. Are you suggesting that making this list is going to be a real bear? Well, you know we've done them in, we, we, we've done so many of them in succession. You never know. <laughs> <laughs> 
But you know what? Don't 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 make any reservation, dogs, because we're gonna figure out what we're gonna do. <laughs> you know, because it's not just for us; it's for all mankind. And you know, <laughs> I started a terrible trip. <laughs> <laughs> you should hate yourself now. Anyway. And, um, oh, and, and for folks who listen to my other podcast, and I hope some of you do, because it's actually a pretty good one, there will be a new Scott Forgot the 80s podcast uh, that should come out by the end of this week, where finally, and I say finally because it was originally scheduled for March, and then uh, my the co-host who was going to host with me was unable to uh, record, and it got delayed till about December, uh, we are going to be covering Teen Wolf. And you know what? We're even going to talk about Teen Wolf 2, too. <laughs> so <laughs> so hold, hold on for that one. That's going to be, that should be a pretty good one. Um, it probably won't be what you think it's going to be. So I'll leave that as a little bummo to for people to want to listen. I don't know what accent I'm doing right now. Anyway, Brian, thank you so much once again for being here. Um, always appreciate getting to talk good TV with you. Hey, Scott, I really enjoyed it. I'm loving this season. I'm glad we get the chance to continue to do it um, and uh, look forward to next week. So good night, everybody. Like the man said, good night, everybody. Talk to you next week. Mm-hmm.